Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 491 for the 2nd of May, 2016. This week, don't underestimate the importance of backing up your important system files more than once. Let's consider the online crash plan backup system. Not all tablets run Windows or OS 10. Now there's one that comes with Ubuntu Linux. In short circuits, you need a password manager. Then you need to be careful not to divulge your master password to the bad guys. And a new email program for smartphones could be worth downloading, even though it's not exactly perfect. In spare parts, only on the website, the FBI says it is not going to share the iPhone hack it bought from hackers for more than a million dollars with anyone, and particularly not with Apple. Software used to rescue children from sex trafficking. Maybe a decent swipeable keyboard is coming to Microsoft devices. Activist investors are named to Yahoo's board of directors. And this week, a bonus track following the program close. Be sure to wait for it. Backup is important. Disk drives don't last forever. And when they fail, they often do so with little or no warning. That's why I use multiple backup strategies that include local hot backups, an image backup of my boot drive, USB drive backups, and online backups. My objective is never to lose an important file. And all files are important. Backup is a topic I touch on frequently. On April 10th of this year, I described a problem with Carbonite that caused me to reconsider using that service. After many years of recommending Carbonite, it was no longer possible for me to do that. This week, I'll describe the multi-part system I use. One backup simply is not enough. Here's what I use. I start with a Cronus, and I use that for a boot drive image. It's updated weekly. The full backup is repeated every five weeks. I use CrashPlan for online backups of all files on all drives. GoodSync creates weekly backups on drives D, E, F, and G to USB drives that are stored off-site. And I also use GoodSync for real-time backups of high-value files. These go to a network-attached storage drive that's connected to my router. So I'm calling this segment Belt, Suspenders, and Duct Tape. Most of what I've described so far isn't new, but CrashPlan is, and it replaces Carbonite. If you'd like to know why, you can read my earlier comments back on April 10th. There's a link from this week's TechBiter Worldwide website. Now, this is not a condemnation of Carbonite. I've used the service for several years, and it has worked very well. It still offers some features that my selected replacement does not, but the replacement service offers some features that I consider to be essential. One of my long-time frustrations with Carbonite was the decision by developers to omit numerous file types, executable files, dynamic link library files, video files, 
Those are some of the examples. A user who doesn't read the fine print would risk not having backups of family videos. CrashPlan takes the opposite approach and backs up just about everything. In fact, I had to explicitly exclude some files that I considered unnecessary. Carbonite costs a little bit less than CrashPlan. The difference is about $12 a year, and it offers file sharing, which CrashPlan does not. Both CrashPlan and Carbonite are very easy to use. Both will take an extremely long time to complete the initial backup. That's because even high-speed cable systems have low-speed uplinks. It's not uncommon for the initial backup to take weeks or months, depending on how much you have to back up. After the initial backup, though, files are generally backed up whenever they change. My initial backup is approaching 40% complete. CrashPlan's security is stronger than Carbonite's 448-bit encryption compared to 128-bit. CrashPlan also offers file versioning and retains files in the cloud even after you have deleted them from your computer. During the setup process, you'll specify which drives you want CrashPlan to back up and on each drive, which folders. Some of the folders on some drives in my computer are mirrors of other folders, so I have omitted the mirrors. In other cases, some directories contain files that simply don't need to be backed up. This may be because the directory contains nothing but temporary files, but whatever the reason, it's easy to exclude a directory, or if you want, an entire drive. CrashPlan's Settings panel contains five tabs. It is far more extensive than what Carbonite offers. You may not need to change any of the settings because the developer selected reasonable default values, but it's easy enough to make changes if you decide you need to. A history panel provides a detailed view of exactly what CrashPlan did and when. This is a function not available in Carbonite, and it's one that I like. CrashPlan's restore function is amazing. Select an entire drive, a directory, or drill down to a specific file. Then click the Disclosure triangle to select which version of the file you want to restore. Even more great features are shown at the bottom of the restore panel. Users can decide to restore the most recent version of the file or a version from a specific date with either the current permissions or the original permissions, restore to the desktop or any other location, and rename or overwrite any existing files. CrashPlan already looks like the better choice, but there's more. You can download the software without charge and use it for several types of backups without ever having to pay a penny for it. The software will back up files to an external hard drive or a friend's hard drive without cost. If you back up to a friend's drive, your friend does need to have CrashPlan installed, that's free of course, and you must give permission to back up files to their computer. For me, the bottom line for CrashPlan is 5CATS, an online backup that's free for offline backups. CrashPlan is free if you have just local backups or backups to a USB drive or backups to a friend's computer. Using the online service requires a small annual fee, but backup space is unlimited, multiple versions of files are maintained, and even if you delete a file from the computer, CrashPlan will maintain it until you explicitly mark it for deletion from the cloud. You'll find additional details on the CrashPlan website, 
There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. a Spanish company is shipping a tablet computer that runs Ubuntu Linux. The Aquarius M10 Ubuntu Edition sells for about $400, weighs just slightly more than a pound. That's a good price, but whether it's a good deal depends on what you need. The Aquarius somewhat resembles Microsoft's Surface tablet, but the keyboard is separate instead of being something that can be attached to the tablet. It is the first tablet that runs on Ubuntu Linux. Ubuntu has been around for a while and is one of the more popular Linux variants. The British company behind Ubuntu, Canonical, has modified the operating system so that it can be used in phones and other portable devices. The Aquarius M10 Ubuntu Edition tablet is on sale now at BQ's online store. Because it's a Wi-Fi only tablet, buyers won't need to be concerned with matching the device to their cellular provider. This also means that connectivity of any sort requires a nearby Wi-Fi signal. Plug a monitor into the HDMI port or connect a keyboard and mouse with Bluetooth and the interface switches from being touch-centric to desktop mode in which it works the way we've come to expect desktop systems to operate. In tablet mode, apps are full screen. In desktop mode, they're windowed. A full version of LibreOffice is installed on the tablet. The specifications are pretty reasonable. 10.1-inch multi-touch screen, either at 1280 by 800 with 149 pixels per inch, or the full HD version, 1920 by 1200 at 224 pixels per inch. The CPU is a MediaTek quad-core, up to 1.5 gigahertz. There's a high-capacity battery inside, full HD camera for video recording, 2 gigabytes of RAM, a little skimpy there, and 16 gigabytes of internal memory, also a little skimpy there. But there's a micro SD slot for extra storage, up to 64 gigabytes, and even that's a little skimpy, but you can swap those in and out. You'll find an 8 megapixel rear camera with autofocus, and a 5 megapixel front camera, front speakers, and a micro HDMI slot. If you have a spare $400 lying around, and you've always wanted a tablet, and Linux either pleases you or at least doesn't frighten you, one of these little Ubuntu tablets might be a good fit. You'll find more information on the BQ website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. In short circuits, you probably already know this, but somebody wants your master password. Password managers use single passwords to protect all of your other passwords. This could be dozens or hundreds of sets of credentials. 
allow your master password to fall into the wrong hands, and you will be up to your eyebrows in trouble. Crooks and thieves know this, and they do everything they can to trick users into giving their master passwords away. So, while most people really need an application such as LastPass, that's the one I prefer, or one of the others such as 1Password, Keychain, Dashlane, everybody needs to watch out for phonies. Writing on the Malwarebytes blog, Jovi Umawing reminds readers to download password managers only from the developer's website or from trusted app sites such as Google Play, the Chrome App Store, or the Apple Store. Perform a Google search for most of these applications, and you'll probably see several sites that offer what they claim is the real application, and even the official app stores can't always be trusted. Recently, we spotted one such app claiming to be LastPass on the Chrome Web Store, Umoink says. Careful observers will see that there's something wrong immediately. The ratings are way too low, and the named developer, AdGetBlock, seems to be the wrong brand to offer such product. Umoing describes how he downloaded and installed the fake LastPass app on a test machine. The installed application took the computer to a site that attempted to install an unwanted application. In this case, Google has already removed the bad app but you can be sure others will take its place. You can read the entire article on the Malwarebytes website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. In the middle of last week, I stumbled across Nacho Mail. It's an app for Android and iOS devices. What led me to it was a news release from the publisher about the addition of what was called Work Chat. The idea is that it adds a chat application to your smartphone or tablet via the email program. I never did find the Work Chat feature, but I did find a promising email client for what the publisher calls this post-PC world. What makes the application appealing to me is that I was able to set up four email accounts, two of them IMAP, one for Outlook and another for Gmail, in about 10 minutes. When I'm using the application, I can view any one of the accounts individually or look at a mailbox that combines mail from all accounts. In addition to Outlook and Gmail, Nacho Mail works with Exchange, Google Apps, Hotmail, iCloud, Office 365, and Yahoo!, it also detects and uses your calendar and contacts. We are headquartered in Portland, Oregon, the developers say about themselves, where we drink beer, ride bikes, and dream of the warm surf in San Diego. Okay, any developer who lists beer high on the list is probably a good developer, the kind of developer I'd like. The interface is fabulous, and setting up an IMAP account, which is something that many people find tedious or confusing, or both, is quicker and easier than I've seen on most competing applications. It's a new application, so far has been downloaded by only a few hundred people. Despite the great interface, there are some problems. Sometimes Nacho Mail becomes a bit confused. You're supposed to be able to swipe from right to left and then click the trash icon to get rid of a message. When the swipe function works, the message can be deleted, but sometimes it doesn't, 
and the message just quivers for a bit. There's a delete button at the bottom of the screen, but the program goes back to the inbox after you've deleted the message instead of showing the next message. It either should do that by default or there should be a program setting to allow users to set it to do that. I've also had some problems sending messages. The send icon is rather small and seems not always to recognize a tap. In one case, a message simply disappeared. It hadn't been sent, it wasn't in the outbox, and it wasn't in saved drafts. So, it's not perfect, but Nacho Mail has a lot of promise for a completely new application. It'll be interesting to see how Nacho Mail develops over the next few months. Expect a complete report on what I find after I've had time to work with it, and maybe sometime I'll be able to find work chat. You can find spare parts very easily. It's only on the website, though. This week, the FBI says it is not going to share the iPhone hack it bought from hackers for more than a million dollars with anyone, and particularly not with Apple. We'll look at software used to rescue children from sex trafficking. Consider the possibility that there might be a decent swipeable keyboard on Microsoft devices someday. Consider what it means that four activist investors have been named to Yahoo's board of directors. And also this week, a bonus track following the program close. Be sure to wait for it. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week. As the presidential election grows closer, I find myself thinking back to an earlier election. It was 1968. I was working the 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. shift at WTVN. That's a time slot guaranteed that nobody would hear me. Except for a couple of people in Norway. Well, yes, Norway. Uh, That's because of the station's nighttime pattern. We did have a few listeners in Norway, but I think I'm digressing. You always do. Get to the point, you whippersnapper. Whippersnapper? Do you have any idea how old I am? Oh, come on. Do you have any idea how old I am? Weren't you found floating in an ocean somewhere, several hundred years old? Right. So that makes it even more remarkable that you were running for the presidency of the United States in 1968, and that I was managing your campaign. Sundial for president! And you know, Dial, you could have won except for a few problems. Like what? Well, you're not a native-born American. Well, it's a big deal. And you're a sundial. Not a human. And even as a sundial, you're imaginary. And yet, here you are, talking to me. Yes, and yet here I am, talking to you. But maybe you're wondering what my point is here. As a matter of fact, I was. Would you mind getting to it? In 1968, WTVN and WBUK, that used to be WTVN-FM, simulcast my all-night radio extravaganza. At 6 o'clock, John Frame kicked me out of the AM studio and took over that side. E. Carl slipped into the FM studio, tried to bar the door, but usually was unsuccessful in keeping the sundial and me out. At the time, there was a kid named Mike Island in Columbus, and he listened to WBUK. 
Oh, like no man is an island? No, that's the poem by John Donne in 1624. Island and island, they're not spelled the same. And John Donne has nothing to do with it. So why'd you bring him up? I didn't. You did. Well, anyway, many years later, sometime in the 1980s, Mike Island started working for Taft Broadcasting. At least, I think it was still Taft at the time. Might have been J-Corps or Great American. You're wandering again. So by that time, I'd been gone from WTVN for a long time. But I hadn't been successful in deciding what I wanted to be when I grew up. In the 1980s, I came back to WTVN as a weekend news announcer. That's back when radio stations, even the top 40 ones, broadcast news. You remember that, right? Yeah, even on the weekends. Mike and I discovered that we had had a shared interest in the past, and that he still had some of the Sundial for President materials. Valuable stuff! You could say that. I just did. But I wouldn't. But still, I just did. Yeah, about as valuable as a used sandwich wrapper. Well, that's it. You wasted all this time for that? Well, maybe just one more thing. All right. What? Just a shout-out to Mike Island to say, thanks for keeping me up to date on your remarkable family over the years. Yeah, me too. Well, now I'll just climb back into this box before you say something political about the election. Well, I would never do that.